Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Over the last few weeks, we've watched the world shut down, and many of us are left wondering, will life ever return to normal? Whatever tomorrow brings, we can count on one thing. With God, the best is always yet to come. And this season of shutdown, we've been given an opportunity to prepare for a new beginning. So let's take this time to get ready to restart. Well, here we are months into this coronavirus, and we're now in the restart process, at least here in Kansas. Our leaders say that we're in phase 1.5. Originally, there was supposed to be phase one and phase two, but they changed it on the fly, and so now we're in phase 1.5. You know, I have sympathy for our leaders, but frankly, they don't always inspire a lot of confidence. I mean, I'm not blaming them. The issue is we have a disease we don't understand. There's no cure yet, or maybe ever. And we all know that we can't keep this shutdown going indefinitely, or we're going to have much bigger problems than the coronavirus. You know, what I want to hear someone say, what I desperately think we need to hear someone say, at least in America, and I think certainly around the world, we're in a terrible mess, and we desperately need God to help us. If there ever was a time for repentance and prayer, it's now. And I say that because here at New Spring, we're thinking restart, but not in political terms. We'll leave that to the political leaders. We're studying the manual, the Bible, to see how real restarts have happened for thousands of years. You know, when you look at the Bible and you start reading it, you'll discover that it's a collection of restart stories from the Garden of Eden all the way through the church age. But the reason why we're looking at the Bible for restart is because God's Word not only contains stories of restart, but those stories have embedded principles. And we're trying to extract those principles and leverage them in the world that you and I are living in in 2020 America. Well, if you've been with us in this series, what you might feel today is that last week's talk and this week's talk are like bookends. They're kind of like opposites on the spectrum. Last week, we looked at how you can restart if your shutdown is somebody else's fault. We talked about that. We said, there are times when you're trying to do the right thing, but somebody else does the wrong thing, and it puts you in a wilderness that's not of your choosing. But today, we're going all the way to the opposite end, and we're looking at maybe a tougher question. I mean, how do I restart if the shutdown is my fault? You know, it's just human nature that when our life shuts down, we want to turn around and look for somebody to blame. But what do you do when (laughs) you turn around and look for somebody to blame and you're the only person in that line? Well, let me start here. If that's you today, if you're in a shutdown and it's your fault and you look for somebody to blame, but the only person there is you, I know it's painful and this may not mean much, but can I say to you today, you have my respect because you're an honest person. You know, there are people who can never get to that place. They look around for somebody else to blame, but if they're the only person in that line, they'll invent others. And it's tragic that some people can never be honest that 
they did something wrong. And so if today you're in that spot, well, you have my respect. And here's really good news. You may be way closer to a restart than you would ever dream. So let's go, let's go straight there. You screwed up, what you decided, what you said, what you did, or what you didn't decide, didn't say, or didn't do, it was bad enough to change your life as you know it. Now here's the question that you're facing right now. Can the good life ever come back? Or, here's a really big question, could it ever be possible to be better than ever? I mean, if, if you're in a self-caused shutdown, that first question might be, might be about as far as you can see. I mean, can, can life ever come back? But I really think we need to entertain the question, if we failed and caused a shutdown, would it actually be possible for my life to be better than it ever was? I am so excited today to tell you the answer is an unequivocal yes. And we're going to learn how. Hey, I don't always say this, but get ready to take some notes on this because you're not going to want to just hear this message and then move on with your life and kind of forget. You're going to want these. You're going to want these main points to be part of your life. So you got a little bit of time to find something to write with or use your electronic device because before we start learning about how your life can be better than ever, even if you cause the shutdown, one thing absolutely has to be understood. I mean, there's, there's, no, there's no restart without this one important thought. And here it is. You have a friend. In other words, if you need a restart today, you have a friend. You have someone who is pulling for you, who is very powerful. And you have an enemy. You have someone who desperately does not want you to restart. So you have a friend and you have an enemy. And if we don't get this right, the shutdown, take a deep breath, the shutdown will be our final destination. So before we get started with the list of things that you'll need to do to have your restart, you gotta remember you have a friend and you have an enemy. Now someone will say, well Mark, yes, I have an enemy. I know who that enemy is. That enemy is my ex-wife. That enemy is my boss. That enemy is my mother-in-law. <laughs> that enemy is one of my kids. No. As we learned last week, your enemy is never people. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we know exactly who our enemy is because the Bible says your enemy. Notice it doesn't say God's enemy, although he is God's enemy. But the Bible says your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion sneaking around to find someone to attack. Now, if you're down today because of something you did, which will be all of us sometime, when I tell you what Satan wants to do in your life, it may help you understand some things that are happening in your life right now. Deep breath, one more time. When you look at what Satan wants to do, when we're in a self-created shutdown, when I give you these things, it may explain exactly what you're feeling and what you're experiencing right now in your life. And you're gonna be able from this point on to analyze that and say, that's my enemy working in my life. And here's the deal. We're not surprised that all the things that Satan wants to do have the word down in them. Number one, he wants you to fall down. I mean by that, he wants you to mess things up. 
You know, that's what temptation is all about in our lives. I mean, he will tell us that something is for our good, but his purpose is to get us to fall down, to mess things up, to mess up our marriage, to mess up our life, to mess up our career, just to get into stuff that we can't get out of. And you know what he'll do? In temptation, he will whisper to us, do it, do it. Number two, he wants to kick you when you're down. You know, isn't it interesting? And many of us, if not all of us, have been there. The same devil who whispered to us, do it, will taunt us and say, why'd you do that? Isn't that, isn't that peculiar? I mean, that's the devil for you. And, that, and that's him kicking you when you're down. Because we all know what that's like to fall down, to make a decision that hurts our lives and maybe hurts others. And then when we get down into that spot, there's this awful feeling that says, why'd you do that? So, He wants you to fall down. He wants to kick you when you're down. And number three, he wants you to stay down. This is absolutely huge to your enemy. Everybody's going to fall down. But Satan only wins with this one. You know, (laughs) there's something we need to talk more about in church. And as I was prepping for this message, I was saying to myself, Mark, we need to talk about this more at New Spring. We often talk about temptation. That's how hard Satan is working on us to get us to fall down. I think we need to spend more time talking about how he wants to keep us down. See, here's the deal. When you fall down, Satan wants you to believe this is now who you are. In other words, let's just take an example for a moment. Let's take a guy and he's, you know, he's online or he's on electronic device and pornographic site comes up and he locks onto it. And he does, you know, he's, he's, he does something obviously he shouldn't do, which is participate in pornography. And then one thing leads to another, and he's in it again and again and again. And now he's fallen down. Satan will try to tell him, this is who you are now. I mean, it could be this. It could be any kind of addiction. It could be any kind of scenario where we've made a mistake that causes our life to turn south. Satan will want to not only get us to fall down and not only to kick us when we're down, he'll say to you, this is who you are right now. The fourth one is especially painful. And that is he wants you to believe God wants you down. You know, in a perverse, twisted sort of way, that could actually make sense. You know, because if you work through the construct, when you sin, who have you offended? God. Well, when you offend someone in a relationship, what happens? There's a breakage in that relationship. And often, you have to deal with some kind of punishment. Ergo, the idea is that Satan wants you to believe it's when you sin, you've offended God, you've broken that relationship, he wants to punish you. Now, God has become your enemy. That is so wrong. It is so twisted. It only makes sense in a satanic kind of way. Never forget this. As long as you have breath, you have a friend in Jesus. One more time. Never forget. If you miss any other part of this message, get this one line. As long as you're breathing, you have a friend in Jesus. Somebody, maybe a Bible scholar, would say, Mark, the Bible says before we were saved, we were God's enemies. Yes, but not by God's choice. You know, it's possible for you to have an enemy. You don't want to be an enemy. That person's just set themselves in that position. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrates his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. In other words, when we looked at God as an enemy, God didn't look at us like an enemy. 
In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, the Bible says this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Wow. Hey, as long as you're breathing, you have a friend in Jesus. You know, somebody could say, well, Mark, I'm in a mess today and I caused it. I feel like God is chasing me. And maybe that sense that God is chasing you makes you believe that he's chasing you to hurt you. Many, many years ago, I I read a story in the news that made me think about our relationship to God. A woman was leaving her office late at night from a parking garage. She got into her car, a little nervous, and drove out of the parking garage when she noticed the lights of a pickup truck behind her. She thought, perhaps this person's following me. Well, she made a turn trying to kind of see if, if her suspicion was right. To her, to her concern, the pickup truck turned with her. She turned again. The pickup truck turned with her again. She sped up. He sped up. And then she realized she had someone chasing her. She was terrified. She floorboarded her car until she saw the lights of a, a convenience store that was open all night. When she saw the lights of that convenience store, she gunned her car up into the parking lot, put, slammed it in park, opened her door, ran into the convenience store to try to get away from the pickup truck. When the pickup truck pulled up behind her, a guy jumped out from the driver's seat and went immediately to the woman's back door and jerked open her back door and pulled a man out who was hiding. The guy who was in the pickup truck had noticed that a guy what that turned out to be a serial rapist had crawled into her back seat and he was chasing her, but to save her life. When I think about that story, I think about God because so often we run from God and we think he's coming to punish us when in reality, God is pursuing us to take away what's causing us so much pain. Well, today, today's talk is principle six in our series. And here it is. I can still have a restart even if I cause the shutdown. Now I want to refer back to week two in our series. I brought you a message called Rethink. And we looked at a story that many people call the story of the prodigal son. It's a story that Jesus told. If you were with us in that message, I asked you to suspend how the prodigal son got to the pig pen. And we looked at his story from that point on. But today, in principle six, I want us to go back and look at what we suspended. I want to look back at how the prodigal son blew up his life. But before we start looking at that, it's in the Gospel of Luke chapter 15, and that's where Jesus tells the story. But it's really, really important that we understand what happened to kick off Jesus' story. So if you're in Luke 15... I want you to look at the first two verses because it'll help you understand why Jesus told the story of the young man that we call the prodigal son. Ready? Here we go. By this time, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation, people like the song, Bad to the Bone, a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus, listening intently. Now, a lot of people will look at this and say, hey, Jesus was cool with bad behavior. No, no. These people were listening to hear what Jesus had to say. They were wanting hope. Verse 2, the Pharisees, well, these are the uber religious of the day, and the religion scholars were not pleased, not at all pleased. They growled. 
He takes in sinners and he eats meals with them, treating them like old friends. Look at verse three. Their grumbling triggered this story. Well, Jesus ultimately will tell three stories. He'll tell the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin, but the third and the coup de grace story is the story of the prodigal son. Well, it's the story of a young man who blew up his life. He went to his dad and said, I don't want to wait till you die. I want you to give me my inheritance now. He grew up on a farm, a wealthy farm businessman, and the young man said, give me what I want. This attitude will take us all to the hog pens of life. In fact, in Isaiah 53, the Bible defines sin as going our own way. But the father, the father gave him his inheritance, probably one third of his wealth. He gave it to the young man, and then if you look at Jesus' story, you'll discover that the young man went as far away as he could possibly go, and he blew up his life, he destroyed his life. So, if that's where I am, Maybe not to that extent, but maybe at some point in my life, I said, give me what I want, and now I recognize if that took me to a really bad place, how can I turn things around? Start with this. God is the solution for my self-caused shutdown. This is so big. One more time. God is the solution for my self-caused shutdown. When you go back and read the story of the prodigal son, you look at him at the beginning of the story and look at him at the restart. At the beginning of the shutdown story, he said, my father is the problem. Well, the father in Jesus' story represents God. So that's tantamount to saying God is the problem. And if I'm talking to anybody whose decision shuts your life down, at some point you looked at what God has to say about life and you said, that's my problem. The standard of doing right is my problem. So at the beginning of the shutdown, the prodigal had one attitude. My dad is my problem. What was his attitude that turned everything around? If you read this story, you can't get away from one attitude that turned everything around. And it was my father is the solution. He went from God is my problem to God is my answer. Okay, we're ready now to take those notes. When we talked about your enemy a few moments ago, all those four things that he wanted to do had the word down in them. Are we surprised that the five things God wants us to have in our lives contain the word up? And at first, this may seem kind of trite, but if you will let your heart and your spirit absorb what we're about to pick up, you'll discover that these, these things are intensely profound. Here is the beginning of a turnaround if we're in a self-cause shutdown, which we'll all be in probably many times. Number one, look up. Look up. When you're down, this is where it starts. Luke 15, 17. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. Now, he's in a far country, which means he's a long way away from home, and he's in a hog pen because he blew all his money on, on prostitutes and partying, and the only job he could get was slopping hogs. And now he's starving to death, and nobody will feed him, and he's in a hog pen. Now, let me ask you a question. If you look at this young man in the hog pen, what could he see? 
And somebody might say, well, he saw pigs, he saw slop, he saw his destiny. No, and this is massive. From the pig pen, he saw home. He saw himself in a different place. Even though he was down, he looked up and saw his life in a different place. He began to think, you know, even my dad's hired hands have plenty to eat, and if I were there, even if I were a hired hand, I would have food to eat, and I wouldn't be in this pig pen. Why is this so big? Whatever needs to change in your life and my life, whether or not it's as simple as losing weight and getting into shape, or if it's as big as coming back after you've made a disastrous choice and suffered from it. If you can't see yourself in a better place this time next month, this time next year, or this time 20 years from now, you'll still be in the same place. Even if you're in a pig pen right now, if you can't see yourself in a better place, you're going to be here from now on. Now, Satan so understands this one. I mean, it goes back to him keeping you down. It's the key to him keeping you down. Satan knows this one is so big. He's got a ready-made answer for you, whether you're a rock-ribbed atheist or you're a Bible believer. He's got an answer for you on this one. If you're an atheist, he'll say, there's no God. There's no sense in you seeing yourself in a better place because there's no such thing as God. If, on the other hand, you're a frequent church-attending Bible believer, he'll say, oh, that's just positive thinking. That's just New Age stuff. Well, without God in the equation, that would be true. <laughs> but both of those comments are generated to keep you down. He's got, this is so big to him, it is it is the be-all and the end-all. He never wants you to see yourself in a better place. If your choices have led to a problem in a marriage, he'll tell you your marriage will always be this way. If you've gotten hooked on something, he will tell you you're always going to be an addict. If, if you made a career choice that was unwise, he will tell you you're always going to be failed. And, and this is one that I think the whole sermon could be about. If we've developed a personal character trait that grinds on us, there's an area of weakness in our life that we're embarrassed that we have in our lives. Satan will love to tell you, you will always be here. But I would say for any of us who've made a mistake that's put us in a bad place, see yourself in a better place. See yourself with a better life. Satan wants you to believe that what you see now is what you will see forever. But think about how simply the prodigal son saw this. He looked at the pig pen. He looked at the hog pen. He looked at what happened with his own choices, and he said, this is my situation minus my father. And then he looked up, and he saw a home, and he said, that is my situation plus my father. That's what looking up is all about. It is seeing my situation plus God. Look up. Number two, stand up. Verse 18, I will say to my father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. In effect, he's saying, I am going to stand up and take responsibility. Well, this is rare today. Our culture has made a cottage industry out of blaming our bad choices on somebody else. And in a broken world, it's always possible. 
I mean, we're a flawed people in a flawed world. I mean, our parents weren't perfect. Our teachers weren't perfect. Politicians, Lord knows, are not perfect. Our bosses aren't perfect. Co-workers are not perfect. But at the end of the day, looking at all that just keeps us down. And somebody will say, Mark, it's painful to admit that it's my fault to stand up and take responsibility. You know, I would argue that it's empowering. Look at the prodigal son. When the prodigal son, I'm going to go home to my father and say, I did wrong. What did he get out of that? He got clarity. In other words, when he recognized my choice got me to this place, he was able to connect the dots. And when he got clear on how he got to the pig pen, he knew the way out. That's the thing about standing up and taking responsibility is we connect the dots. And here's the thing that I never heard, never hear communicated today. When you and I take responsibility for our choices getting us into a bad place, we get closure. We we always hear about the importance of closure. Well, there's something about taking responsibility that gives us closure and allows us to, number three, give up. Work with me for a second. Go back to the prodigal son before he left home. What was it that caused the prodigal son's trouble in the first place? We know he told his dad, give me what I have coming. That was an ugly thing to do. But really, what, what prompted that? Well, he wanted to change his image. You know, he grew up the son of a hardworking and successful farmer. And he's looking at his life and saying, I don't, I don't want this image. We, we know by what happened what he wanted. He wanted to be a rich party animal. I mean, he wanted to be an international playboy. He wanted to be one of those people on the reality shows that has absolutely no limits on what they can buy, do, or say. He wanted that image. And for a while, he lived that image on his daddy's money. This is big. Every one of us lives with two people. We live with our image, and who we really are. Strange. And for those of you watching around the world, maybe this is just an American thing, but strange. We tend to overvalue our images and undervalue our real identity. The shame is our image is absolutely worthless and who we really are is invaluable. Remember this, your image can never really help anybody. If you want to change the world, you must know your image can never help anyone. All that can ever help is who you really are. Here in the United States, where you, uh, we're, we're looking at a college admission scandal. Months happened months ago. But what happened was rich parents were spending millions of dollars creating phony IDs for their kids to get them into prime universities. Now, there's one particular story, and I don't want to mention any names. It's a famous person, famous family. One story where one of the kids, a teenager, was an influencer on the internet with two million followers. Now, as far as I can tell, this young woman had done absolutely zero of worth to the world. But she was like, with all of her followers, again, like two million of them, she was showing them her makeup tricks and showing them what she bought at high-end stores and her travels and kind of inviting them vicariously into the world. And every day they checked in to get her advice, to hear about designer clothes that she bought or whatever exotic location she was visiting. You know, she had told her followers that she really didn't care that much for school. Now, think about this. Her parents are getting into legal trouble, maybe going to prison now, 
for trying to figure out how to get her into a top university, but she said she didn't care that much for school. She was looking forward to game days and parties and, and et cetera. I look at that story and look at our nation and think, dear God, how did somebody that vacuous become an influencer? But it's a commentary on our times, isn't it? It's a charade built on a charade. But along comes something that happens in a crash that's our fault. The loudest noise in our crash is the sound of our image breaking when that mask breaks. When that happens in our lives, people gasp because our real person is suddenly there for everybody to see. You know, if you're into image, I just articulated your biggest fear. In fact, some of you, it's going to be everything you can do to watch the rest of this message because I just shared with you the idea that your image might, might break and you're, not a, you're more afraid of that than anything else. But you know what? Some of you have been there. I mean... You crashed. It's your fault. And your image broke. And everybody saw the person that you really are. And you know what the weird thing is? You walked away with a surprise. Because now you say, looking back on that, that moment was when my life began. And so, if you want your life to turn around, not only you know, do you look up and stand up and take responsibility, but give up on the image You hear the prodigal son say it in his words. He said, I'm no longer good enough to be named your son. Make me like one of your servants. Look up, stand up, give up. Number four, show up. Verse 20, so he got up and went to his father. When he was in the far country for the prodigal son, at least in his mind, the hardest person to face would be his dad. In every situation, where we cause our own crash, there will be someone, something, some situation that's harder than anything else to face. Most people who cause their own shutdown can never restart because they insist on running away. They don't want to face that person again. They don't want to face that situation. Why is that? I mean, what is the psychology that causes us to run and not not face those difficult situations? I know what the situation was in the prodigal son, and I think it's well-known universal. We'll put it in these terms. He was looking at a huge bill. In other words, the bill for all the wrong he had done, but he had empty pockets. And then that would be it. I mean, whether someone's running from bill collectors or, or running from a scenario that if you faced up, you would have to say, I can't undo the past, I can't change things, and I can't make it right. And so because of that, so many people run. But I love this about the prodigal son. He showed up. You know, showing up is so big. I mean, thankfully, the Lord has allowed me to pay my bills throughout my life. But I remember my dad saying to me when I was a teenager, he said, Mark, if you can't pay up, show up. In other words, if you owe something and you don't have the money to pay, show up to the person that you owe and do what you can do. Now, we all know how the story of the prodigal son ended. The father received him back. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But somebody could say, well, Mark, I may not be dealing with someone as generous as the dad of the prodigal son. What if it doesn't end well? What if I show up and the person doesn't forgive me? What if I show up 
and it causes me temporarily to get in more trouble. The biggest advantage of facing them is that now you can face yourself. When you've shown up, maybe you can't make things right, but you can face yourself and you can say, I showed up. And now number five, move up. Why do I say that? Because you know, sometimes guilt gets in the way. We've done something wrong. We blew up our lives and we had a shutdown and we hurt ourselves and hurt other people. And most of all, we know we've offended God. And there's that question of maybe I should never enjoy life again. You know, maybe I should never celebrate. So let's just take that head on. Is it ever possible to celebrate after you've messed up big time? Well, you know the story, or if you don't, you can read it in Luke chapter 15, because the prodigal son said, I'm going to go home to my father. I'm going to, you know, I'm... (laughs) I'm going to look up, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to give up, I'm going to show up, I'm going to go back to my dad and say, Dad, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore, just make me a hard hand. But you know how the father saw him coming, and he ran and hugged him and saw how filthy he was, and he didn't have any shoes on. He said, bring the best robe and put shoes on his feet and give him the family signet ring. And he said, go out and get the fatted calf. In other words, they have been saving a stalled ox for a barbecue. And the father said, get all the friends to come in. We're going to celebrate tonight. Now, I have a vivid imagination because I see this prodigal son. Yesterday, he was in a hog pen. He blew up his life. He did everything wrong. And now there's this celebration. Don't you know he probably wondered, how do I react to this? You know, I I sort of think about what might have happened if while all the celebration and the music and the dancing was going on, if the prodigal son just went out and sat down like this. And if people came by him, you know, and said, well, what's going on? It's like, you know, I just blew up my life and I don't deserve to celebrate and I did all this wrong stuff and... I I just, I can't go in. I can't go celebrate. I always imagine that because I think there's a part of us that feels like somehow we should feel guilty. And and I don't mean that we shouldn't feel pain if we recognize our choices have caused ourselves and others pain and God pain. I mean, I think we should have a sense of, of the wrong that we've done, but there's a moment for us to bring our guilt to God and receive his forgiveness and move on with our lives. I, I imagine a moment where the prodigal son might have been sitting out, and then the person came up that he was probably most challenged to face, which was his dad. And the dad would have come out and put his arm around him and say, Son, why aren't you in eating barbecue? Why aren't you in dancing? Why aren't you in celebrate? Why aren't you in there celebrating? And the prodigal would say, Dad, I just I can't believe how I hurt you. I can't believe all the terrible things that I've done and the pain that I've caused. Do you hear the father put his arm around him and say, son, the party is for you. We're celebrating because of you. That's how wonderful our God is. That even if we've blown up our lives and gotten our lives in a really bad place, 
God wants to celebrate with you again. He wants your life to be better than ever. I'll end this message where I started. If you and I have ever made a decision that caused a shutdown, which all of us will, probably many times, you have an enemy who wants to knock you down, (laughs) he wants to kick you when you're down, he wants you to stay down, he wants you to believe God wants you down. But you have a friend in Jesus, and he's your ally, and he wants to help you. And if you're willing to look up by faith and see your life being better, if you're willing to, you know, if you're willing to stand up and take responsibility and give up on the image and show up to God, then you can move up. And you know, as we close out this message, maybe it's time for us to look at this in a generic sense. Because the whole story of the Bible is that we have sinned. I mean, from the Garden of Eden on, we're all sinners. We all deserve hell for eternity. But you have a friend in Jesus. And your friend came into our world, even though he was God and had been God forever, he came in skin, God and human at the same time, and then he lived that life that you and I can't live. And then he laid that perfect life on a cross, and he died to pay for your sins and mine so that we could have a restart. And you know what? If by faith we're willing to look up and see ourselves as children of God based on God's word, if we're willing to stand up and take responsibility for being a sinner, if we're ready to give up on the image that we're trying to create, and if we're willing to show up and invite Jesus into our lives, we'll have an eternity of moving up. That's what a friend you have in God and in Jesus. If you'd like to make that decision today, no matter what you've done or where you've been, if you're willing to invite Jesus into your life, he will forgive your sins and you will become God's child. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you want to pray this prayer, you can pray it with me. Ready? Here we go. I'll pray it slowly. Dear God, I am a sinner. But I'm standing up today. I'm admitting it. And I believe that you will save me because you said you would. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. Please forgive me and make me God's child. In Jesus' name. Well, before we close, if you just made that decision, I have a gift I want to give you. It's got a Bible. This box has several things in it. All you have to do is text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97000. And if you're in the United States, we'll send this to you. If you're outside the United States, just text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97000, and we'll send you an electronic version. May God bless you. We'll see you next week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.